Better Human Challenge, Episode 44, Joshua Spodek. So if you do anything self-imposed, daily, challenging, healthy, and active, you will get, I would, to me, something like 90% of the value of any other Sid Shah. Welcome to the Better Human Challenge podcast. I'm your host, David Ratchford, and here is where we talk values, beliefs, and habits to make you the best human that you can possibly be. You can find us online at betterhumanchallenge.com. Hey, Better Humans, David Ratchford here, and I want to invite you to the Better Human Challenge podcast. Facebook group. This is a private group where people just like you, we have a community of people who want to help you become a better human being by issuing challenges and taking part in active discussions about values, beliefs, habits, things that we can do physically, mentally, spiritually, how to give back more and be a more effective human being. So we'd love to see you come over to betterhumanchallenge.com and enter the button that says hey, I want to join the Facebook group. And all you have to do is enter your email and you'll be taken there immediately. And we've got some really good incentive. Now that we are into our second year, we have attracted our first sponsor. And our first sponsor is Roan Apparel. And as an extra incentive, we have got a giveaway going on through the month of September that Everybody who is involved in the Facebook group has the opportunity to win a Sentry shirt, which is my favorite workout shirt. Um, yes, it is men's apparel, but ladies, don't fret. You know, if there, there's got to be a guy in your life, your dad, your brother, a significant other. Um, anyway, this is really top quality apparel. It's cool in that it's wicking, it's fast drying, and it's got anti-stink technology. I was introduced to this Rona apparel um, at a workout uh, pop-up gym, and I taught a class there, and I put my sh- my new shirt into my bag and forgot it over the weekend in my car in summer. And I pulled it out, and I thought, oh my God, this is going to be awful, and it did not stink. I am not kidding you guys. Amazing stuff, high-tech fabrics, custom fabrics with really understated logos and stuff. So it's keeping it classy. Again, that's Rowan Apparel. Everybody can get a 10% discount off their first order. All you have to do is use the promo code BHC10. That's BHC for Better Human Challenge 10. And go over to betterhumanchallenge.com, enter the Facebook group, join up, and you can enter to win a $68 Uh, Century shirt, which is my favorite shirt because it's tough. It's got like a slight little v-neck, which I really like. It's comfortable. I think it's really good looking. And um, it's the only stuff that I'm going to be wearing and buying in the upcoming years. So with that, welcome to the second year of the Better Human Challenge show. And we'll see you over in the Facebook group. Now on to the rest of the show. Welcome to Better... I told you I would buy you. <laughs> Let's get that right out. Welcome to the Better Human Challenge listeners. Today we have Joshua Spodek, who is an adjunct professor at NYU, leadership coach, and a workshop leader for the Columbia Business School, and a columnist for Inc. Magazine. He's led seminars in leadership, entrepreneurship, creativity, sales, strategy, and motivation at Columbia, Harvard, Princeton, MIT, and the NYU Stern School of Business. A lot more other credentials that uh, sound really impressive. He's got five Ivy League degrees, including a PhD in astrophysics and an MBA. Welcome to the Better Human Challenge, Joshua. Thank you, David. Glad to be here. I don't know if people can hear. You know, I don't know if it, what the opening they heard was, but just before he said, he said, "I'm probably going to botch the opening," and then he. <laughs> let's talk about self-fulfilling prophecies (laughs) so so, um i was introduced to you via jim harshaw who has been on the podcast and what i really liked about the show that you guys talked about is we you talked a little bit about leadership and also about a concept called sid shaw um but before we die into that why don't you tell us a little bit more about you and how you got to where you are and uh, some of your underlying philosophies as as a generally bright dude and now leadership coach. 
Sure, I'll try to give the one minute version. And if there's any detail that I should go into more, then tell me and we can go back to that. Perfect. When, I mean, my usual starting point when I was in college, I was actually like, growing up, I was good in math and science and, and tried to hide that from people because I wasn't like hugely picked on, but I wasn't like the coolest kid in the class either. And I didn't see that math and science really made my social standing any better. But then in college, I decided, you know, this is, it's something that I love. And, and I, I really love physics, I, you know, understanding like what nature is about and what are the fundamental, like what's everything made of and how does everything work? And so uh, when I graduated, I went to get a PhD in physics, finished it. Uh, although I found that the life of a, of a scientist in this day and age isn't exactly what I was looking for. And also some friends of mine approached me about starting a business and I had an idea that we decided to start a business together. And so the last two years of my PhD were the first two years of working in the, in the garage and writing patents and, and getting my first company going. And I left academia to start my first company and uh, we had a lot of success. And let's see, we started filing the patent in 98, got funded in 99, went live in 2001. Then 2003, there's a recession, there's post 9-11 and I didn't have... Well, I got squeezed out by the investors. It was a very difficult time. And then not long after that, I realized I, I wanted to keep starting companies, but didn't want to be limited by my inexperience in business. So went to get an MBA and started with the intent of learning. I mean, the company was running out of money. I should learn accounting and finance. Is that what I thought? And so I went in for the hard skills and then found that the soft skills of leadership, entrepreneurship, sales, negotiation, things like that were for me, much more important and much more valuable. And so for the past little over 10 years since then, my growing passion has been, I mean, I've, I've started a few companies here and there, but my growing passion has been how to teach, how to practice first and then teach leadership and entrepreneurship and sales and these soft skills in a way that's more effective than how I learned, which was through case study and writing papers and analysis. And so I've now, I, I teach as an adjunct professor at NYU. And in the past few years, I've actually in the past year, I've, let's see, Harvard, MIT, Princeton, Columbia, like there's a lot of places I've, I've been invited to speak. And I, I teach very experientially, very project-based. And I, in fact, last week, I just finished my first time teaching a block week, which is a full semester in one week, nine to five. And it went extremely well. Judging by how the the students went, the essays that they wrote at the end of it, it's like, it's, I can't tell you how. Like I knew that I would like teaching. It's part of the reason why I went into research in the first place. But I didn't realize how much I would love it. And it's you know the students' responses and seeing seeing how much they grow. Right. Yeah. And being an agent of change for somebody that is on a journey, you know, but to take them from a a point that they start at where they might not have a whole lot of experience and or ideas of the concepts, and then lead them through a journey in the course of a week that can completely transform their lives. Yeah, this class was uh, entrepreneurship. And the essays for the people coming in, they're all like, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to go into business, I want to learn this. I want to... It's all about like developing themselves, which is great. I, I support developing yourself. The essays, when they go out, are all like, I want to help my customers. I want to find out how to learn more about what the needs are in the market. I want to learn how to help people. I want to change the world. And... It's more, you know, it's this outward focus, which I think is a mark of the successful entrepreneur is you can only succeed by helping others. You know, it, the only way you can get their money is if your product or service makes their life better than the money. And to me, that's making the world a better place. And, you know, a little while ago, I wrote in my blog about, I think, I think there's two types of inspiration. One of them is you watch Arnold Schwarzenegger and you're like, oh man, I want to get really strong. I want to get big. And Gyms are full on January 1st and they're empty by um, Valentine's Day. Super Bowl Sunday. Is it the actually official end of gym season? That's when it falls apart. Okay. <laughs> I, I always pick Valentine's Day, but they're pretty close. And there's another type of inspiration, which is people have a, a problem that I figured out a way to fix and it's going to take me some time. But until I'm helping these people, it's like I can't rest. And it's not, I can't rest. Like I can't fall asleep. Like you're stressed out. It's like, I can't rest. Like I'm in passion. Like, and that type of passion, I think sustains you well past Super Bowl Sunday. Sure. And that's what, that's what I try to get people to one, to discover for themselves and two, to be able to create for themselves. 
once you have that, that's a big ability in life to be able to give yourself inspiration, motivation that will endure for a long time. I, I like that. One of the talks that I had a couple of weeks ago with John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire, he talked about, we, we talked specifically about health and fitness and the, the interesting take that I got away from that, that I took away from that was how much he cares about his audience uh, that, that he calls Fire Nation and how he focuses on health in order to serve them better as far as being energetic and, and having the, uh, the endurance, the strength to sit at his desk and do what he does and to bring high energy to his podcast and all of that kind of fun stuff. And it was really about serving the audience members than, you know, making this tremendous amount of money, you know, and, and that was an interesting take that, that I didn't have that impression of him before, but after that conversation, it was, it was really a tremendous transformation for me. I agree with him a hundred percent. It's, I think having yourself, uh, full of energy and enthusiasm to be able to act on what your mind is thinking. And also it clarifies your mind I, that mind body separation is not so great. I think they're, they, I mean, they fit together very well. And to me, I, I would add, I, I mean, I presume he also includes diet as part of that and sleep as part of that, because those three things, diet, exercise, and sleep, to me, if you don't have those, you're building on sand. If you have those, like you've got a good platform to build on. Yeah. So let's, let's take this as an opportunity to talk about our, our daily habits and, and cultivating health and vitality and perhaps the the Sidcha, uh, if you can define what that is and, and how you came to develop this concept and practice it. Sure. It's one of my, I think it's one of the most important concepts for me in my life and for the people that I work with, like almost everyone I tell it to, it's like, yeah, that really puts together a lot of what I've been like, what, what, what I've been trying to get to work for myself. So it began, I guess it really began when I started writing my blog, a friend of mine set up my blog page and he had been blogging for a while. And he said, I asked him, how often do you post? Is it like Monday, Wednesday, Friday? Is it when you feel like it? And he looks at me and he says, every day. And then he says, if you miss one day, you can miss two. If you miss two, it's all over. And immediately I was like, yeah, of course, there's a million blogs that like start and then like they become a little less frequent, a little less frequent. And then like the last post was five years ago. And from then I just started posting every day. And that was, I guess, I mean, you can look on my blog and see it. I think it's January, 2010 or 2011. So I'm approaching 2,500 posts. I just haven't, I simply don't miss my blog posts. It's like, I'm, you know, you brush your teeth, you write your blog. It's like, for me, it's become that way. And so I've been doing that for a while. And then a little while later, just by chance, I happened to read some article in the paper and it said, they interviewed a bunch of fitness people and they said, if you could, the reporter asked the fitness people, if you could pick one exercise and one exercise only to be the best, what would it be? And they went through a couple, but one of them stood out as the burpee, which I'd never heard of. And I looked it up. And so burpee is like you stand from standing, you drop down to a push up, then jump up. Well, that's basically it. You do push up and then jump up. That's how I think of it. And so I never heard of it. And a little while later, I was having drinks with a friend. We mentioned somehow that came up. I told him about the article and the burpee. And so he emails me that night after we, after he got home or maybe it was the next day. And he says, Josh, I couldn't even do 10 burpees. So I'd, I hadn't done 10. So I thought oh, he tried it. I'll try it. So I tried, I did 10 burpees and I wrote him back and said, let's do 10 burpees a day for the next 30 days. And since then people have told me that there's like studies or something that show that if you do something for 27 days or something like that, it'll, I don't know. I didn't know anything about that. I just thought, let's do it. So and we said, let's check in every day. So I did 10 burpees a day and then 10 became 11. And then at one point he decided to do one set in the morning, one set in the evening. So we doubled. So, but like by the end of that month, we were doing something like 25 burpees a day. And while I was doing it, something clicked in my head that I was like, this is really effective exercise and it's body weight. So you don't need any equipment. You don't need any training. You don't need this. Like, I, I, I didn't see much risk of injury. And in fact, since then, I've, I've had injuries in many places, but I've still been able to do my burpees. So it's been like a haven from injury. And I just decided I'm going to do burpees forever. And it kind of went through my head while I was thinking that, like, you know, I guess at some point when I'm 70 or 80, I'll have to stop maybe, but 
between now and then I'm going to keep doing them. And okay. So now I'm doing at this point, I'm doing writing my blog every day and doing burpees every day. Fast forward to maybe a couple of years and I'm a guy named Joel Runyon finds me and we, we, we got in touch with each other on the internet because he's got a really cool blog and he's got something called cold shower therapy and he recommends taking cold showers. And I've taken a couple of cold showers out of necessity at times. I'm reading his blog and I'm reading the responses from people and they're talking about like losing weight from cold showers and like all these things. I'm like, what's the connection here? It doesn't quite make sense. So as I'm reading these posts, I'm going down reading all these things and I'm thinking to myself, no, I should try this someday. And as I read more, I'm like, you know, I should try this soon. And as I read more, I'm like, I'm going to try this definitely. And at one point it like got me over the edge. I just went in the shower, turned on the cold water, took a cold shower that I'd never done before, minimum five minutes. So I set a timer, I guess, on the way in. And, uh, and I was like, this is amazing. And all right, I'm not going to try to convince people or, or like some people just don't get cold, just don't get cold showers. And some people do, but for me, it was a very invigorating experience and it felt great. And I decided I'm going to do 30 days of cold showers. And then since then, all right, I'm not going to do cold showers every day, but I I do them every fourth day. And while I was taking a cold shower one time, I thought to myself, you know, taking a cold shower, there's something in common between taking a cold shower and meditating. And I couldn't put my finger on it and because it's hard to think so straight when you're taking a cold shower. <laughs> right. And, and this is December in New York when this is happening. So it was, and it was really cold. And then I thought, you know, there's something like cold showers have something in common with meditation, which have something in common with lifting weights. I thought if you got a weightlifter in the same room as a meditator, I bet they'd have a lot to talk about. They might not talk about, I don't know, I don't know what they would talk about that would be different, but something in common. And the more I thought about it, I thought there's something that a lot of people, you know, a lot of people like they'll write five business ideas every day, or someone will talk to a new person every day, or someone will paint a painting every day. I was like, there's something common to all these things. What's the common element? Because it seems like it seems like these things help people. And, you know, not scientifically, I just deduced that it seems like it has to be self-imposed. Like going to work every day doesn't count or eating every day doesn't count. You have to do those things. You have to choose. And then daily, I think when you make it daily, there's a big thing that I've realized that if you take out the element of choice, it forces you to do things. Like doing burpees after you've run a marathon is really hard. But if you think about it and give yourself a choice, you might not do it. And so it really, that's when you learn a lot about yourself is when you do it because not because when you, when you do something hard and it's like super hard and you just say, I'm just going to do it. And it has to be challenging. So it seems like brushing your teeth doesn't qualify. It's, it's too easy. It has to be healthy. So like smoking cigarettes is not going to, I don't think that cuts it and active. So meditation, I think counts, even though you're sitting still, it's still, it still seems to me like sitting still is hard. It's a focused activity. Like 30 right? seconds. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, activity doesn't mean necessarily moving around, although it usually does. And so I put these things together, self-imposed daily challenging healthy activity, and it's spelled Sidcha. Sidcha.com is available, so it's not yet live, but it will be soon. And the more that I've shared this concept with people, the more that people have been like, this is what, yeah, this is like the essential element of daily habits is, is irregular habits. And for people who are entrepreneurial, like myself and basically everyone I interact with, we don't have the structure that a generation or two ago had of you going to work at nine, you come home at home at five and you do like a, a structure that's based, that's imposed on you. And in my experience, a lack of structure in your life makes it very difficult to move ahead. I think it's like running in sand or swimming in molasses. And you just don't have a platform to build on. And when you give yourself the structure of a Sidcha, it's it gives you this platform and it's almost impossible not to build on it. Mm-hmm. It's like I I started with burpees and then after some time I realized that they weren't that challenging anymore. Ten wasn't that challenging, twenty-five wasn't that challenging. And so I have to keep increasing the number. And so now it's twenty-six every morning, twenty-six every evening. And after a while I realized Burpees do exercise a lot, but they don't do your back. So I started doing pull-ups, you know, exercises for the back. And then I added stretches in and then I just added abs in. So now it's like this, like roughly 10 minute routine in the morning. 
I just call it burpees, but it's more. And 10 minute routine in the evening. And every time it gets too easy, I just add a little bit more. And next thing I know, I'm like more, more fit than I'd been when, than when I was running marathons and playing ultimate. And, but I don't think of it as really hard. I think of it as just what I do. It's a daily and, practice at, at the end of the day. It, it, it's a daily practice that you, that you found that centers you and, and gives you everything that you need for health and structure. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's like, I think of it like a bedrock, like not just a platform, but a really solid, like a platform you can like put a stage show on bedrock. You can build the empire state building on. And so I think of it like that. Awesome. So I, I think today with this audience, we're going to talk about it just a little bit at the end. But again, one of the things we do at the better human challenge show is challenge our audience to develop something from the show so that we want to create some sort of action for them to take at the end of the, at the end of the show and practice for the next week or month or perhaps even the rest of their life. So let's, um, so we'll, we'll come back to that, but we had a little conversation at the beginning of the show before I hit the record button, which was interesting that you had mentioned that you have also attended the Vipassana 10 day retreat for two times. Yeah, two 10 days and a few shorter ones in between. Cool. So tell me what your thoughts are on the, the 10 day Vipassana meditation retreat as a second time, uh, you know, going through that sit for the second time versus the first time. I'm, I'm curious to hear what you think about it. Well, you know, one of the top things is it's an extremely experiential experience and words can get some of it, but it can't describe all of it. And it's actually Vipassana is one of the main reasons why I teach experientially, because you can't lecture this stuff. You have to experience it. And there's, there's physical pain that at the beginning, it's like insufferable. And at the end, you're like, it's a metaphor for challenges in life. And you got over this and it gives you the emotional and mental ability to handle things like that. You know, it's, I can't, I, I've tried to put into words and it's really difficult to, but it's an amazing experience. You, it's very challenging. It's very rewarding. On the one hand, you wake up the first morning and you're about to say something like, oh, that's right, noble silence. And then you think to yourself, I have 9.9 .9 days left. How am I, what am I gonna do? And then what am I doing? Why am I here? And the first couple of days you're dealing with like, how do you sit still? And the next couple of days you're kind of getting it. And then at some point, some, for me, you know, it starts, you start realizing what you're learning about yourself, patterns of how your mind works, patterns of how your body works, all sorts of things that have happened through your life that you've given much more weight than you needed to. And like one time I was just walking in between meditation sessions and I was like realizing how much of my life was not that important, but I was treating it like it was. I mean, you got to pay your taxes, you know, you got to wash the dishes, but if you let them, that stuff get you down, that's you, that's you, that's not the thing. And so the second time, I guess, there's a lot of the stuff you've been through the first time and then over, but then you also realize like as life goes on, if you don't practice it like daily, which I didn't, I, I chose not to practice it daily. At that point, my first time going was well before the Sid Shot concept had kicked in or before I even thought of the Sid Shot concept, but you know, you don't practice and like any skill, it, it atrophies and life starts creeping back in again and you start getting stressed out over things that you once knew didn't, you know, you didn't get stressed out over those things. So the second time I went and I started practicing, of course, it's, it's, you know, it's not I wouldn't describe the practice as relaxing. I, I wouldn't describe the practice as relaxing, but I would say that it makes the rest of your life much more relaxing, kind of like exercise, you know, exercise isn't relaxing, but it makes you, it, it makes me more relaxed and confident the rest of my life. So the second time I also was paying attention a bit more to what the practice was and disentangling what I thought was the essential part that was important for me from the parts that weren't essential for me, because there's a bit of religion in it and a bit of Buddhism, which is, I'm, I, you know, I'm happy for everyone to do what is right for them, but it wasn't really the part that was essential for me. And 
I guess what I took away by the second time I went, I'd been doing the sidchats for a while. And I thought that a lot of the benefit of meditation comes from simply doing anything daily because it, it, meditation is a sidchat. So it seems to me it's, it, it's self-imposed, daily, challenging, healthy, and active. And I thought, you know, I, I'm doing my burpees all the time and I'm doing my, my writing all the time. And I think by that time I was doing the cold showers all the time. And, you know, when you do exercise every day, you also pick up a lot of body awareness you, and you notice patterns of your thought that it, at the beginning, when you're doing something daily, there's a lot of new stuff, but after a while, the old stuff or the stuff that becomes old becomes a set pattern and it gives you insight into yourself. I'm, I'm not sure if that comes across in, in how I'm saying it. And so if you do anything self-imposed daily, challenging, healthy, and active, you will get, I would, to me, something like 90% of the value of any other Sid child. And that last 10%, if you do something that's physically active, maybe you'll get, you know, stronger heart and lungs and stronger muscles. If you do something that's more meditative, then you'll get something that's more mental agility. If you do something that's more creative, like drawing a drawing every day or taking photographs every day or doing some sort of active acting thing, then you'll get more expressive and more aesthetic benefit. If you do something that's more like work-related, you'll get something more professional. So 90, to me, I, this is just my personal impression, is that 90% of any sidcha will give you the benefit of any other sidcha. And the last 10% gives you your direction that you want to do. So that's why a lot of people, when they say, what should I do for my sidcha? I say, start with anything. Like, I like burpees. You can't go wrong with them. If, you know, if, you, if you're fit enough to do one, you can just start with one and build from there. And if later you find, you know, I'd prefer to do something that's more expressive. Maybe I'll do something about writing or maybe I'll do something about uh, taking photographs and publishing them online or something like that. Then you could switch to that. If you want to do something more social, you could talk to a new person every day. As long as you keep it, in my experience has shown that as long as you do something self-imposed, daily challenging, healthy and active, you'll make tremendous progress and then that last bit of which direction you pick, you can switch from one to another as long as you keep up something. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the practice of, of meditation, I get a little bit from the stretching. I get a little bit from the exercise. But the, the other 90%, I think, is I have that. And it also gives you a lot of freedom. Partly, there's a lot of people out there who have amazing daily habits and I think a lot of people get distracted. Like a lot of people think, oh, you know, I, I need a daily habit. I'll pick up one. And so they pick up some daily habit. Maybe it's meditating. And then, they, then someone else is like, oh, if you meditate, you should really choose, do some yoga. And so they'll think, oh, okay, I'll do some yoga too. And then someone says, you know, you should um, write a new business idea every day. And at some point they feel like maybe they've had, they have a bunch of things that they're doing and, they, and one of them slips and they're like, they don't do their meditation one day. And you miss one day, you miss two, and you miss two, it's all over. I mean, it doesn't always happen that way, but you start letting them slip and people feel like, like they, they can't choose between too many things or they choose too many things. And then one slips and then they all slip. And then they feel like, well, these things are really hard to do. And maybe I'm, I, maybe I just don't have it in me because I let one slip, I let another slip and then I, I, I can't pick one. And to me, the Sidcha concept, you see, Sidcha is not itself an activity. It's a category of activity. And I think the biggest value of the concept of the Sidcha is freedom from feeling like if I don't do this other one, I'm missing out on something. So as long as you pick any Sidcha, you're, you're set. So like my mentor, Marshall Goldsmith, he has a big Sidcha. I think of it as a Sidcha. He has someone ask him a set of, I forget the exact number now, at one point, like six to 10 questions, uh, something like that number of questions every day. And he did it with a friend for a while. And now he has someone like a, a, a virtual assistant call him every day, no matter where he's in the world and ask him these questions. And he has to answer these questions. And it's not hugely challenging, but you know, if you haven't done something like, I think one for his is spend time with his family. Like if he's traveling a lot, that's might be hard to do. So he has to say to this person, I didn't do this thing that's important to me. That's, that's a challenge. So he's like, so Marshall's telling me, you know, he's not saying outright you should do this, but he's basically implying. And his last book is a lot about that. And, um, and I, because I have the Sid Chas that I like that are working for me, 
I can say, I don't say it to him this way, but I can say in my heart, thank you. I appreciate that that's valuable, but I have Sid Chow's already and I don't need to take on another. I have the, what I feel is the right number for me. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about, um, I, I think we've gone deep into that. Let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the book that you just mentioned. Um, I need to do something about my dog real quick. Yeah. Um, it's, I'm going to write down the time here, 2648, and let me see what's bugging her. Sorry about that. (laughs) I love that. I'm not going to beat her. (laughs) Um, All right. So let's, um, Joshua, let's pivot a little and talk some about your book, the um, remodel, because I'm fascinated by beliefs and mental models. Specifically, let's talk about how we can identify our beliefs and whether or not we need to consider upgrading them. Sure. I think, well, I think to consider, I think that I, I would, I think everyone was, will conclude once they identify their beliefs that some of them are not working for them and others will work a lot better for them. So I think everybody will want to change their beliefs in ways that, you know, improve, that are improvements for their lives. How to identify them is, is challenging. It's it's a weird thing that like once you pick it up, you can't help it. And before you pick it up, it's like you don't even know what people are talking about when they talk about their things. And and again, it's it's I think something that once you do it, it takes a little practice, but then you can't stop doing it. The challenge is how to get started. Right. So so how would somebody begin to examine our own personal beliefs? For example, Burpees are hard. Obviously, the, the, they are when you start, especially if you're weak or uh, infirm in some areas, but they certainly get easier, right? So, but, you know, picking up a new habit is hard. That's a, a typical belief that people have, changing their habits, changing their life. Or, you know, so, so let's look at a little bit about, we can use one either specific from your life or, you know, a generic one. Okay, so I mean, when you say burpees are hard, that to me is a belief. Now, some people say they are hard, right? Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. It's still a belief. Just because something, just because, I mean, to believe something is true is, that's what it means to believe something. So the thing, the question in my mind is, is believing something's hard, is that helping you? And a lot of people think, well, you can't just believe that it's easy because it's not. Well, that's not the only alternative. In fact, usually what I find is most times when you have a belief about something external and that belief is not helping you, then if you take on an, not the opposite belief, like instead of burpees are hard, to say burpees are easy, is to say something like, if anyone else can do 10 burpees a day, I can too. Or burpees are beneficial. Or I like beliefs where you take responsibility for things. So. Like I can get better at burpees. So that when you say, you said that later they get easier, I would say, actually, I would say I, you develop more skill. Like the burpee hasn't changed. The burpee, the concept of the burpee is the same. It's just after I've done a lot of them, then my skill to handle them is greater. So I think of what belief about myself can give me responsibility to take on a challenge that before was making it difficult for me. So that's one example. It, and how to pick them up. I mean, I, when I teach my leadership course, one of the big principles that I have is to, is to give people exercises for them to discover things so they can, you know, instead of me giving them an answer to give them an experience where they discover the answer for themselves. So the exercise that's in the book remodel is 
every day for a week, carry a piece of paper with you and something to write on. And since then I've expanded. So if you, you know, if you carry your phone with you, that if, if that's a comfortable place for you to write, I mean, I still use paper and pencil just because to me, it feels like there's less in between me and what I'm writing. But in today's generation, they've grown up typing more with their thumbs. So three or four times a day, when you identify belief, write it down. And the first couple of times you do it, it's a little challenging. And when I first did this exercise for myself, I thought to myself, you know, there's a few beliefs that I've come up with in recent years that have been very helpful for me. And I think I'm going to write down about five or 10 beliefs. And I think that's going to lead me to really know these beliefs that are the, the most important things in my life right now, because I've come up with them and they've been such improvements. So I started writing down three or four a day. And, oh, and, you know, I said it a little off. It's not to write it down three or four times a day. Anytime you have a belief that comes in your mind and you recognize it as a belief to write it down. And by the end of the week, instead of having five or 10, I was up around 70 and I was writing them faster at the end than I was at the beginning. And I realized that the, the key thing wasn't the beliefs. That's not the big value of the exercise, although that is valuable. The big value was the skill in identifying beliefs. You know, there's, there's a world out there that's much more complex than our brains can handle. I mean, for one thing, your brain is as complex as my brain. I have enough trouble finding, figuring out myself, let alone another person, let alone 7 billion other people. And that tells me that our minds aren't designed to know the world perfectly. It's not possible. It's designed to figure out how to solve problems. You know, we inherited them from our ancestors and they developed minds and brains to guide behavior that would help them survive and reproduce and lead to us. And so our minds represent reality as best they can, but that means throwing out a lot of information. It means introducing biases. Everyone represents different things in different ways. Your concept of a tree is different than my concept of a tree. So you have a different model for trees than I do. Your model for a dog is different than my model for a dog. And so you and I can be in the same room with the same dog and you might, well, I like dogs, but if say I didn't, if you like dogs, you might go toward it. And if I didn't like dogs, I might go away from it, even though it's the exact same dog. We just have different models for it. So the more that you, I mean, my, the exercise that I like to give is the exercise that's in the book remodel, which is to write down your models as you think of them. And the reason I say for a week is for the same reason for me is that the, at the beginning, you're kind of struggling for what beliefs you have. And like any exercise, as you develop the skill, you start picking it up and you start, your mind starts realizing how beliefs, what beliefs are and how they're influencing your perception. And if you've, I'm sure you had this when you did Vipassana, as you, the instruction is to scan your body and to note what sensations are at different points in your body as you scan your body. And I don't know about you, but it was almost impossible for me when I would recognize, say, tension in some area, it's almost impossible not to release the tension, even though that's not part of the instruction. Did you have that too? I've never asked anyone this actually. Yeah. Um, well, it, it's like I would notice an itch, for example, or a, a burning sensation or a tickle. And it, it very, it, it's very difficult to observe a sensation and not judge it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For example, oh, yeah. there's an itch that's irritating. I want to react to it. And, and I think that's one of the big lessons of, of the, the, the Vipassana model is, to, is to just to recognize it for being a sensation, not judge it, not react. But it's very, very difficult because we are always in, in constant um, interpretation of our sensations and everything around us. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it, yeah, I would feel like, oh, there's tension in my shoulders or in my back. And part of me would say, don't act on it. Just observe. The instruction is just to observe. And part of me would be like, release the tension. And then you release the tension, you're like, oh, that feels good. So, okay, in Vipassana, that's one thing. And I never understood, I never really got to the bottom of like, should I be doing it or not? I think, I mean, what I concluded was just let it happen. If, if, if I end up releasing the tension, just, okay, I release the tension. Anyway, getting back to mental models, once you pick up your models, it's almost impossible not to start playing with them. To me, it's like when you see the models in your mind, I feel like, and I really like this, this particular model is I feel like a kid playing with Legos and like, how can I combine them in different ways? And how can I look at them from different sides to get different ways of looking at them? And then I can build a life of my 
how do I put it's how you interpret things, how you perceive things gives them meaning. So dogs and trees and clouds and whatever, they all are things out in the world without and and when I am when I perceive them and they go through my filters, my beliefs, then they take on meaning. Like I like dogs and trees. I don't like pain. And I mean, pain has its purpose. And I, by changing around my models, I can get different values for things and say something like pain that I don't really like the feeling of. I do find it useful. It helps me learn about my world and how to react to my world. And so even if I don't like it, I, as far as I know, I can't get rid of it and, and it does improve my life. So I don't like burn myself or cut myself. Pain keeps me uh, protecting my, my health. So I, I, I come to see it as useful and that improves my life to see something not as bad, but as useful. And so I play around with that mental model and that improves my life. I don't know if I, this wasn't like a, how did this come out? It doesn't make sense what I'm saying. Yeah, it, it totally makes sense that, that the the main thing is is identifying our beliefs and writing them down, building that skill of, of of really practicing an awareness of the beliefs and models that we have in our life, and ask are they useful or not, right? Yeah, more than are they good or bad is are they are they improving my life? Are they helping me? And there's a big dichotomy among people who've read the book, like have they done the exercise or not? People who haven't done the exercise. The rest of the book is describing the beliefs that I had, illustrating them, not because I want people to adopt my beliefs. They can if they want, if they work for them, great. But it's more for you, for the reader, to get what ideas, what beliefs are. And the people who've done the exercise, they start building up their own beliefs. People who haven't done the exercise, it's just like nice reading, but it doesn't change your life. Right. And that's exactly what we want the Better Human Challenge show to do is, is we want people to take action on what they hear, not just listen to this and say, oh, that was a great show. I really want people to, to go back to the Better Human Challenge website and download the, the worksheet or the, you know, the, the action item and really do that excavation work. You know, and because and, that's where you can begin to change your life. It's by examining your values, beliefs, uh, habits. And th- there was a, a, a phrase that everybody, it was kind of one of those zeitgeist phrases a couple years ago that everybody was using. And the question was, how's that working out for you? And I love that. You know, it's like that, that you can just, you know, somebody would, <laughs> if, if you just had somebody like yourself or, or a sounding board, Whenever you said, you know, gosh, I, I really hate, um, you know, I, I really hate doing burpees whenever I go to CrossFit or whatever it is. And you said, that's an interesting belief. You know, how's that working out for you? You know, <laughs> you, it, it's just you're focusing on something negative, but you don't have to um, adopt that, that belief because it's just really it's a question of effectiveness, you know, it does it serve you to hold that opinion or that judgment or that belief. Yeah. It's such a different, a different outlook. And I'm glad to hear people, you know, saying, suggesting like taking action. Yeah. I've since taking, since realizing that taking action helped me, it doesn't mean take action blindly or every single time. I've definitely made more mistakes since moving that way than before. But the, to the extent that the mistakes were problems, they were much smaller than the benefits, which were much, much greater. Like not even like a little bit better, like incomparably better. You know, another model, a huge model, and this is one that I wrote about in, in my book and is one of the ones that, that led me to do the exercise, to come up with the exercise in the first place, was what, I, what I've come to call the dandelion model of, pro, of solving a problem, which is that you know, if you, if you take, if you pick a dandelion off the top, but the root is still there, it will grow back. And so it's not an effective way of getting rid of dandelions. And that model applied to life is that a lot of times people, and when I say people in myself, that's me, most of my life, I would think if I just solve this problem here and now, but not, if I don't really get to the root of it, it's just going to grow back. And so I better understand myself and understand where this came from and understand everything about it so that I don't just think that I've solved it when I haven't really solved it. 
and it'll come back. Okay, so that's one model, and it makes a lot of sense. And it's not like my life was horrible before. But there's another model, which I call the burning building model, which is that if you're in a building and it's on fire, you don't need to know the cause of the fire to know get out of the building. And now sometimes maybe the thing to do is understand yourself and all the situation and stuff and you know, get to the root of things. And when I first started thinking of the burning building model, I thought I'm probably going to do, think I'm solving a lot of problems. And I'm probably going to come back a lot. And what I found is that the more that I use the burning building model, the more I just solve problems, the more I find two big results happen. One is that when I solve it and the stress of the problem is not there, it's much easier to figure out what the problem was or what the source of it was. So sometimes I just, it, to me, that's like, if you get out of the building, sometimes you can look at the building and realize where the fire came from, from the, you know, firefighters do this professionally, I guess. They can figure out what, what the cause was. And it's probably easier to do when you're not actually engulfed by flames with smoke all around you. And the other thing is that increasingly, this is the bigger effect, is that once I've changed myself, the new me is so different than the old me that whatever the source of the problem was is not a problem anymore. I'm just a new person and the, the, the root doesn't affect me anymore. And this has led me to solve so many more problems than I used to have. I mean, maybe if I knew I was going to live forever, I'd want to solve everything at the root, but I'm not going to live forever. And years of my life that are better for me are better. I mean, I know my values. Right. I, I change like, somewhat from time to time. Yeah, I, I, I like that because this is a, a, something that I that I have struggled with in my life is asking myself, you know, if, if there's a problem that I have, um, how many times do I have to solve this? You know, because I, you know, it, it, it's a challenge sometimes that I've, you know, I've found things that are patterns. For example, I used to have um, a problem with uh, over drinking. Um, and I, I would wake up the next morning and say, you know, gosh, I, there I did it again. You know, I'm, I feel a bit, a bit hungover. And um, how come I continue to repeat that pattern without, you know, it, it's just like, oh, it, it might happen very regularly on a Friday night. Um, so why is it that I'm still continuing this pattern when I've already learned that there's pain associated with it? You know, and again, I think the the answer for me was, why don't I just leave the building <laughs> and end that decision cycle? Cause, and then I don't have to make it up any, you know, I don't have to make that decision again anymore or live with that pattern of, of saying, Hey, that's just not working out for you. Yeah. I, I mean, I wish your podcast was around when I was younger. <laughs> Could have <laughs> saved me a lot of time, a lot of trouble. <laughs> All right, Joshua, we've got to wrap things up. So before we do, uh, let's make sure that we know where we can find you um, and the best resources to keep in touch with you and, and follow your writings and uh, your, your progress on, on learn more about SIDCHUS and your work, your coaching, et cetera. Okay, so my, my webpage is joshuaspodak.com. So that's J-O-S-H-U-A-S-P-O-D-E-K.com. And right now, that's the best place to find out everything about me. In a few months, there'll be sidcha.com. So that's S-I-D-C-H-A.com. And let's see, on Twitter, I'm jspodek. So J-S-P-O-D-E-K. And those are the best places to find me. It's not hard to, if you look me up, you'll find me. Awesome. And for our Better Human Challenge listeners, let's try to sum up in a tight way a challenge that we can throw at them to either develop a SIDCHA or um, perhaps uh, identify beliefs exercise. So for a SIDCHA, the SIDCHA that I recommend most is burpees because no equipment necessary, no training necessary. If you want to go online, there's lots of videos to see. Actually, if you look on my blog, there's a lot of stuff on burpees, and including some animations that, it, that like show you exactly what to do. And I tell people, do a couple burpees. I mean, see how to do it, which is basically st from standing position, you drop down, put your hands in front of you, do a push-up. If you can't do a push-up yet, do it without the push-up then jump forward so your feet are by your hands again, then jump up. And I say, do something, like try to do as many as you can, not to kill yourself, but just do a lot. And for some people that's three, 
For some people, that's 10. Different for everyone. Then I say, subtract two from that number and make that your daily habit. And just do two burpees. Say you did four, and then you drop down to two. So do two burpees every day, and eventually you'll do three, and eventually you'll do four. And then at some point, maybe you'll want to do like I didn't do one set in the morning and another set in the evening, and that will double your number. And if it happens that you find that exercise isn't the direction that you like, then maybe you want to move, then like keep doing it until you find something that works better. And you'll, the more that you do habits, the more that doing habits will become a skill that you have. And so maybe you'll pick up that, I don't know, you read online that someone has a way of like meeting a stranger every day and you'll talk to a stranger every day. And if you stop doing the burpees, and the very next day you start doing the meeting strangers, fine, great. That is from the Sidcha standpoint, you're you've continued doing a Sidcha. And if you want to do another, do another. But start with a Sidcha and then just and oh, I recommend not doing things that involve going outdoors. Or if you want to do rock climbing and you need a, a cliff near you or a swimming pool, like those are big challenges. I, I do have a former client who we're still in touch and he he runs a mile every day. And I was like, I'm not sure if that's the best one because when it's cold and raining, you might not do it. And he looks at me and he says, I run no matter what. He runs in the snow, he runs in the rain. So he's really into it. But most people probably, I one of the main reasons I do burpees is because I know that I, I will not go to the gym in the rain. I don't want to pay people for my fitness. So I stick with bodyweight stuff. Right. And, and that makes but sense thing, because you can do that whether you're on, on the road, in a hotel, or even in a jail cell. I've done burpees on every continent except uh, Antarctica. I've done them in North Korea. I've done them in China. I've done them in South America. And everywhere I go, like people are like, what are you doing? I'm like, yep, this is what I do. And sometimes people join me. Sometimes people think I'm weird. But I never can't do them. Right. So I think, now, that, I think that's beautiful. Cold, I'll just put this one other one in. A cold shower of all the burpees I've ever come across, it is the one that is the least... Okay, it's for many people the hardest because it's really hard to take a cold shower, especially if you live like in the north and uh, and in the winter, or I guess in the south if you're in Australia or South America. And but in terms of the resources, in time, energy, money, whatever, it's the least of anything because you're probably going to take the shower anyway, and it actually uses less energy to use cold water, and you'll probably take a cold, a shorter shower, so it actually gives you more time. So very few people do cold showers, but it is the easiest in terms of resources. <laughs> Maybe one of the toughest in, in, in terms of mental uh, fortitude to actually only turn on the cold water knob. It's hard. If you, if you look up Joel Runyon and watch his TEDx talk, he talks about that and I recommend it. All right. Well, Joshua, thank you so much for being on the Better Human Challenge show. I appreciate your time and we will be diving into our Sid Shaw's with joy. It's been a pleasure. And uh, thank you very much for having me. Hey, Better Humans. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed Joshua Spodek and the talk about Sid Shaw and everything else that we chatted about. Be sure to join the Better Human Challenge Facebook group. Go to betterhumanchallenge.com to sign up. And finally, next week, we've got a really interesting show. It's with the hormone queen who talks about men and women's hormones and how to balance them in alignment with your chakras and all this stuff. It's a really interesting episode. She's got a great book out and we're going to be talking about it in depth. So we'll see you next week. In the meantime, be sure to check in with us at betterhumanchallenge.com and participate in our Facebook group.